Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. So this is the second part of our awards show 2016. Um, I'm assuming that if you listened, to your, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to the first half. If you didn't, go back and listen to that now. Um, but we're just going to basically continue handing out awards um, to the films that we've covered on the podcast uh, throughout this year. And I think we'll dive back in, guys, um, with um, another one of those big categories that you'd find towards the end of the Oscars. This is the Best Director category. Now, just missing out among the nominees here were Kenneth Branagh for Thor. Uh, for Thor. Um, we've got... Um, uh, Tim Burton for Batman Returns, Brian Singer for X-Men, not for X-Men Apocalypse, and Matthew <laughs> Vaughn for um, Kingsman. Um, so those were the ones receiving votes but didn't quite make the final list. The ones that did, though, Joe Johnston for Captain America The First Avenger, Sam Raimi for Spider-Man 2, Terry Zvigoff for Ghost World, uh, the Russo Brothers for Captain America Civil War, and Scott Derrickson for Doctor Strange. Um, and now just to kick off this conversation, for those two at the bottom of the list, the Russos and Scott Derrickson, um, are we going to replay our argument about Doctor Strange versus <laughs> Captain America Civil War here that we had on the first half of the podcast, which is basically um, I, just... I, 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 no. I feel like you made a, a decent enough case uh, against the Russos as, as directors specifically in, in, in that spiel that I'm, I'm happy not to push for them on this one, even though I nominated them. Uh, I, I think <laughs> yeah. your point about the Same difference here. between between Derrickson and them is valid, although I maybe don't rate Derrickson's work quite as highly as you, but um, yeah, fair enough on the Russos. We we can discount them off off the bat. I know yeah. nothing really wrong with what they do, but I think you're right that they they never really stamp their authority on the, the action sequences, which I, I think know, that's what it what comes down to for me. The the action, I mean, and as soon as this was pointed out to me, it's very hard to not see. When you've got those big scenes of fighting in the airports, um, and the Russos, I think, do a lot of things right, and I think they are very competent, and they don't, their scenes never look ugly, but they don't really pop. And I think that big airport scene, the fact that 
there are never like two things happening in the same shot. There's only ever one plane of action, and that's something that Joss Whedon very much avoided in in his um, in his Avengers movies. And given that this is basically an Avengers movie, I think it visually falls short of what Joss Whedon does. And again, can, I think can, Joss can Whedon does a great job with the, the Avengers as the accepted narrative. By the way, because like I don't I, think I, Joss Whedon's a fantastic director. No, no, no. The, the, the one about it being an Avengers movie, because I know that you think that, but I just want to make clear I do, that yes. I don't <laughs> think that. So I, I don't want it to be the the default. <laughs> but in terms in terms of that many characters fighting on screen. Um, that's the comparison I would make is between the Avengers fight scenes and the and the Civil War fight scenes, and I think yeah, I mean, the Russo's fall short. In the action scene specifically, it, the scene where the two groups just sort of line up facing each other, mm. like that to me always felt really like lazy and boring and unrealistic. Like the yes. idea that they would just stand out in the open and just sort of stand across from each other. Yeah. So we would say immediately Scott Derrickson above the Russos, um, but we've also yeah. got Sam Raimi, Joe Johnston, and Terry Zvigoff. So, do any of you guys want to make the case for one of those three? I think Sam Raimi's the most stylish director yeah. on this list. I, th- I think uh, I think of the films, like Spider-Man Two, is so distinctly a Sam Raimi film, and it's it's much mm-hmm. more a Sam Raimi film than Spider-Man One is as well. Like yeah. that what Spider-Man 2 is to me is a director who spent the first film maybe slightly holding back on what he was doing in order to make it a successful commercial film and then as a result of the success of that was able to cut loose and make his film with the second one and doing it really successfully and not compromising the fact that it was a commercial blockbuster so um, I think this is a... I mean, as much as I like what Joe Johnston does with... Um, the the styling of of Captain America and and he shoots that very nicely and maybe we'll have more of a conversation about Joe Johnson when we get to doing the Rocketeer but um, I I think this is Sam Raimi all the way I don't think there's much competition here yeah I would I would be inclined to agree um, I although maybe Tim Burton would... for um, Batman but he didn't he didn't make the list. but he didn't make the list um, so yeah and <laughs> I I mean uh, I, the reason that that didn't make my list I remember us talking about how it all felt very constrained and that might be outside of Tim Burton's hands but it feels like most of Batman <laughs> Returns take pl- takes place on two different sets and while I like it I don't think it I, I think I prefer the Gotham of Batman than I do of Batman Returns which is why that missed out um <laughs> Yeah, the the Sam Raimi, the moment that um, leaps out to me, we discussed this on the Spider-Man podcast, the Spider-Man 2 podcast, is the Doc Ock coming alive, the horror sequence Mm. in the middle of that movie, which is this just... It is from a Sam Raimi horror movie, but in the middle of a Spider-Man one. And, uh, yeah, and the fact that he's doing stuff like that alongside the hero shots and the shot of Mary Jane at the end of the film looking at Peter... Um, leaving the apartment and uh, yeah I think there's there's beauty in that film and there's terror in that film and um, there's a reason Doc Ock is so iconic and um, again we talked about on the podcast but all the scenes on the subway train all the shots on the subway train um, I think I think Sam Raimi gets all of that very right and yeah it's the, there's, there's clarity in the action which is always important yeah, and like the thing, the thing that stands out for me is like the, like the the framing and storytelling and like practical considerations of having those tentacles in the film and as characters essentially. Mm. Like, you could give that 
to another director and it would come out very pedestrian. Whereas, as you say, give it to Sam Raimi and you've got this kind of horror element in the film that um, it just it it gives gives Doctor Octopus some character beyond like his personality. It, you know, it's an extra dimension, and I mm. don't think you'd get that with every director. And we talked about how well he you know made it feel like a New York movie. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I I just think we we're all in agreement here, is aren't we? Sam Raimi is a home run choice for best director for Spider Man Two. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well we'll move on to um, I think one of our most fun categories um, on on this entire award show. Um, this is the best villain category, um, <laughs> and I think we can have some particular fun with this. Uh, with some of the names that have and haven't made the list. Um, and there's a couple that um, I would argue um, are committing category fraud. Um, some that did not make the list but did receive votes. Baron Zemo from Captain America Civil War what? did not quite make the list. Oh. He was he was literally number six. Um, Harrison Wells from The Flash oh, um, did not man. make the list. Um, who again is great? Um, maybe maybe difficult because he's a hero in half of what we've seen of the Flash and a villain in the other half. And even when he's a villain, he's kind of pretending to really be a hero. Him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dotty Underwood from um, oh, this is just okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> starting to feel personally affronted by this now. <laughs> didn't make it. Red Skull from Captain America: The First Avenger just missed out. Um, and then on James's suggestion, nearly made the list. Captain America from Captain America Civil nah. War did not did not quite make the list. I think um, when that, Seb saw it, he was one. so disgusted that he was like, the only way you can include this is if Iron Man makes the list as well. And um, Iron Man was never going to make this list, so... To be um, fair, like, four-fifths of me putting that on there was just a troll Seb, so... I feel like we <laughs> haven't had that argument enough on this podcast. I think we need to get into it a bit more, because it's really... That's, that's um... going to be its own special. <laughs> Okay, but so so those are the ones that didn't make the list. So this main list should be pretty fantastic, right? We've got Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. We've got Doctor Octopus from Spider Man Two. We've got Loki from Thor. We've got Magneto from X Men, not from X Men Apocalypse. Um, <laughs> I'll keep making that point. <laughs> and we've got Whitney Frost from Agent Carter Season Two, mm-hmm. um, who was who was the she was the vote who just knocked Zemo out of the running, um, and Harrison Wells. I'm sorry, but um, how how does Zemo not get in, and Harley Quinn, who is not the villain of that film, <laughs> get in? So this is the controversial. So that one. means you I, both must have voted for Harley Quinn. So I originally voted for Harley Quinn in uh, Best Hero because she keeps, you know, I, I I think that they are the heroes of that film, um, even though they keep having to no, tell they you they're the saying, bad guys. They keep saying we're the bad guys. Like what? Like if you tell me. You, you know, sometimes you can protest too much, and I think anyone that needs to tell me that they're, they're the bad guy that often probably isn't. Um, I think you're overestimating the quality of Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've no overestimated subject. nothing about Suicide Squad. Don't don't you worry. Um, no, so I think Harley Quinn does. She she does fit in this category of of best villain. Um, she she is a baddie, but she's a baddie we um I think grew to love over Suicide Squad and the fact that she came out of that film um as the one thing like they're, they're literally building Gotham City Gotham City sirens around her right now. Um 
prioritising that over Suicide Squad 2, which should tell you a lot about the relative merits of Margot Robbie's performance and um, Suicide Squad as a whole. Um, but yeah, there's stiff competition. Doc Ock, Loki, Magneto, Whitney Frost. Um, guys, I really like Whitney Frost, but I think she is she was the one that we, that just scraped into this category. I think she's very good, but I think we're talking about for all-time iconic superhero characters. I was going to say, like, Whitney Frost is... She's well-realised and she's well-portrayed and she's got this, like, great thematic underpinning. But she's not iconic in the way any of the other characters are. Like, Mm. you would struggle to explain Whitney Frost in a single sentence. And in a way, that's a testament to her complexity. But at the same time, you can't really sell her to a to an audience mm-hmm. yeah yeah so then i would like to make the case against another character um and that would be loki who as much as i like in thor is not quite the villain that he will become yet um, no, it's true actually i mean he's 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 the villain of avengers but he's not the villain of thor well he mm-hmm. is he is ultimately but you just don't realise he is for such a long time and the fact that we have to have a big metal monster standing in for him in 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 the in the showdown. I mean, I really like Loki and Thor, and I think I I made this argument on the podcast, James, that it would be a much more interesting film if it was equally ba- more equally balanced between those two characters. Because when you're watching that flashback scene at the start, you're like, oh, that's the interesting character and that's the boring one. And then we follow the boring <laughs> one for the movie and the interesting one's just in the background. Um, and I think Loki, um, used to his full potential, is absolutely a worthy winner of this category. If you if we had Thor and the Avengers in this year, um, uh, may, maybe even Ragnarok. Oh, it's not Ragnarok. Um, the Dark World, which isn't a good film, but Loki's very good in. Um, yeah. I just feel like Loki hasn't quite reached his height in Thor, and so he. I mean, he that's fair. Could've... Like Loki, Loki definitely has better to come than we saw in Thor, in certainly in terms of being a villain. Hmm. So yeah. And then, so I think we need to have the same conversation about Magneto. Is this the best of Magneto in X Men? Mm-hmm. Is I mean, and is Tough. Ian? Is Ian McKellen the best Magneto? Um, I think this is the best of Magneto as a villain. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he's actually a villain and not a kind of yeah, like the only good guy who's hanging around and everyone. You're like, do you remember when he was that really evil guy in there? Like, well, you know, but he's quite popular. So I mean, the the only other one where he's really a villain is Days of Future Past, and he's better in X Men than he is in Days of Future Past. So he's quite villainy in The Last Stand, but then he, oh yeah, but I, f- I always forget about they that, have to, to be crowbar honest. the yeah. Phoenix plot into that. Um, so. I mean, Magneto is at his best in. X-Men 2 and First Class but I would not call him a villain in either one of those films so yeah, mm. um, the, I, yeah I do think this this is the best of him as a villain but I, I don't think that's enough for him to be best villain basically his plan is so crap isn't exactly. it his plan yeah, is that's terrible down to, really. that's the thing though when, when we revisited X-Men like I kind of engaged with the really sort of Silver Age crapness of him living <laughs> in a living in an underground base and having a plan that involves I mean, sort of switching <sighs> on a big machine and doing the Batman 
66 plot of scrambling world leaders. I mean, every, every <laughs> moment of his performance is wonderful. Every single raised eyebrow moment that Ian McKellen does in that film, from the, you know, whoever said I wanted you and... Um, you know, all the conversations with Charles and the bit with the police cars. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's, he's fantastic throughout, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't put him above Dr. I, the Octopus. thing is as well, like the, the best Magneto moment isn't in X-Men 1, is it? So it's hard to... What's what, what's the best moment? The best is the where he recruits Pyro because <laughs> that's Magneto is most villainous, like corrupting... <laughs> mutants to his cause I'm looking forward to getting to that film on the podcast um, whereas Doc Ock and again I'm not sure that Doc Ock's plan is fantastic and like, but that's not what's interesting about him as a villain what's interesting about him as a villain is kind of seeing him flailing around in just generic villainy and going around and it's, it's, it's not that he has a vendetta against Spider-Man or against our hero, it's, it's that, that he's his, just. Yeah, it's that his aims are in conflict with Spider-Man's remit. Yeah, mm. and they and they kind of clash because of that. And he his his villainy towards Spider-Man is purely look. Will you just get out of my way while I do this nonsense? But yeah, the I fact mean, that Spider-Man of... has that Spider-Man has the relationship with him and kind of has the aspirational father figure esque kind of relationship with Doc Ock that. He projects onto him, which makes it very interesting. And then when the film does kind of peel back and look at the man behind the villain um, and give you the glimpses of Otto Octavius when he's not kind of in full villain mode, um, that's really interesting. I think the thing that holds Doc Ock back is the chip. Yeah, that, it's just that one thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's a, such a slight thing. It would have been so easy to just take it out. Mm. If they'd just taken that out, like two, what, two scenes, and it would have been gone. And it would have been. And the show. And the actual showdown isn't fantastic. Um, I think we talked about that, that it literally just comes to convincing him that he's a good guy and throw that thing into the sea or into the river. Um, But but it's hard to. It's hard to. there, There are these faults, but it's hard to look back at that film and not think. Man, Doctor Octopus was wonderful. Like, he was a really great villain. And there's a reason why Spider-Man 2 is a film that people consistently come back to as one of the best superhero movies ever made. I mean, James, you said earlier in the podcast, top five ever. The thing I like about his portrayal generally is that, aside from the thing of it, like, it's not automatically personal. Like, they... It's very comic booky in that he's doing things like robbing banks. (laughs) And it... Yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel comic booky, despite it being very Silver Age and like that. That's something in Spider-Man movies, especially, they struggle to get right, like the the tone and threat level. Yeah, and I think and should, Spider-Man Two nailed it. And it should be said that this is a character that we talked a lot about on the original podcast, not being the the kind of the comics accurate version of Doctor Octopus. Um, but the fact that that doesn't really bother you two guys probably says a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got you know we've got is... two big Spider-Man nerds, and they're not concerned mm. that this Doc Ock is not comics Doc Ock. Well, because it's a combination of there there are elements that they get absolutely right. Like there is stuff that they change, but it doesn't feel. Or it's not so much stuff that they change. There's stuff that they add, and the stuff that they add to kind of flesh out the character doesn't feel wrong. 
and the stuff that they do that's dead on with how you would want Dr. Octopus to be works perfectly. So, I mean, yeah, it's not the most 100% accurate version, but it's a version that I'm really happy with, and, yeah, it's probably an area in which I'm going to be quite difficult <laughs> when, to please. So, <laughs> When you compare it, especially to the likes of Dr. Doom's various portrayals... Mm-hmm. Like I, I think aside from maybe Magneto, Doctor Octopus is probably the best villain outside of any Marvel movie. So uh, Marvel Studios movie. Sorry. The character that the character that we haven't discussed here is Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Um, is this a case of a really great performance rather than a great villain? I mean, because not we talk. Is, yeah. is she is yeah. she a villain? Is she a hero? Um, she smashes that window (laughs) she does smash that window and take she takes what she wants Um, I I I think maybe this character's recognition should be coming in a different category personally and (laughs) I think I I think the costume is is so it's, it's become an iconic costume um, but I mean, the fact that I I was kind of walking around at the end of October this year and seeing nine, ten, eleven year old girls dressed dressed up as um, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, I just found really depressing. And yeah, the fact that a, a character this great and culture that Harley Quinn's made. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the fact that this character who could be so who who has become so iconic, um, this this really great female comic book superhero character um, and yet they felt the need to leer at her ass the whole way through the film and they felt the need to dress her in the costume they felt the need to make her undress in front of all the men on screen it's, it holds the character back so much for me um, I mean I've been watching a lot of the Batman animated series and I think that they deserve a lot of credit for doing a version of Harley Quinn that doesn't feel exactly like that character, but kind of captures a lot of the things that are great about her. Um, well, to be fair, the animated series version is the version, like that's yes. where she came from. <laughs> no, sorry, that's what I mean. So I think, so oh, I think right. the, yeah, the Suicide the Squad yeah, yeah, deserves yeah. a lot of credit for um, for creating this version of her that is so compelling, whilst not being a carbon copy of that. Um, of the animated series character, um, but yeah, I, I I struggle to vote for her in this category because of the stuff that I that I don't like around the fringes. No, yeah, um, that's, that's fair. I can I can and particu- and particularly her relationship with the Joker, which is not her fault, but that I don't buy Margot Robbie and Jared Leto at all. Um, so <laughs> I didn't buy Jared Leto in anything. <laughs> well, exactly, uh, Fight Club. I, I was buy about him. to say the last the last time Jared Leto was giving a performance that resonated well with me was when he was getting his face beat into a pub in Fight Club. <laughs> you buy him as a man that Ed Norton would want to beat up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, guys, are we are we all saying Doc Ock here? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay, so Doctor Octopus wins our best villain award. Um, it's almost like we really like Spider Man Two or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if there's anyone is... listening to this who maybe hasn't watched that film, do you think that's likely? Because if you haven't, like, you really should. 
I sort of yeah, retrospectively go- wish I'd nominated Zack Snyder for this category now, but you know, it's too late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> um, okay, well, the only guy who can make make Superman kill people. No one else does that. Lex Luthor couldn't do that. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on to one of our um, our technical categories again here. And I almost wish we'd have just um, emailed, emailed former podcast Andrew Ellard and asked him to decide this for us, um, because I'm sure he'll tear his hair out as we uh, as we fum- <laughs> as we fumble around with this best screenplay category. So films that were uh, received votes but didn't quite make the list um there's not many of them it's batman returns and captain america civil war which uh suggests there was some agreement amongst most of our nominees uh those were ghost world spider-man 2 captain america the first Ame- the first avenger x-men and doctor strange so it's obviously ghost world I mean, I mean, I'm willing to hear any arguments that you might have in favour of the others, but you cannot tell me that any of those other films are as good a script as Ghost World. Surely, surely not. I mean, it's I think... tough, isn't it? Because Ghost World is the only one that doesn't like necessarily have a giant CGI fight two thirds <laughs> of the way through and three thirds of the way through. Yeah, so but it, it, it could level. be a bad script that didn't have that. But what it is, yeah. is a really compelling and incredibly funny script that, yeah. Yeah, I just, I feel like Ghost World is kind of, it's not hobbled with the same sort of necessities that superhero films have <laughs> that hold them back. Um, yeah, I, I think what what really works in Ghost World's favour, and I think this comes back to what we discussed um, when and the kind of the argument that we had on our Ghost World podcast about kind of what we thought the ending meant for Enid and and what what we thought of her as a character, whether we liked her, whether we disliked her, and I think that the film is really canny in that it has three protagonists in. Um, Enid and Seymour and whatever Scarlett Johansson's character's name is uh, I can't I can't remember um, but what I like <laughs> Rebecca there we go I really like that you can kind of you can kind of project yourself onto all of those characters you can like and dislike them in various different moments and I like mm. and dislike all of them at different moments in the film but I yeah. can always I, I can always identify with them and I can always understand their motivations for doing what they're doing and yet come to the end of the film and have it clouded in so much kind of... Um, th- th- there is so much there that is down for interpretation and not not thanks to the film not being clear, um, but I think thanks to the film being um, open enough to invite you to interpret, to interpret in, in all those different ways. And um, I think it's helped by strong performances, um, but I think so much of that is, is in the script. Um, in the way that it thinks about how these characters interact with each other and how they grow and the arcs and the journeys that they go on throughout the film. Um, it's a fantastic movie and it's a it's a very, very strong screenplay. It's got yeah. to be and that's one-liners that, out of any Exactly. Just like a number of one-liners. And as, I mean, I talked to you before about how, like, mentioning how, like, at home we quote so many lines from this film. But... Um, we really do and it's just and it's i think it's so impressive for a film to be as funny as it is while also being such an inherently sad film like and uh, you know it's it's not 
it's not sad in the sense of I mean it is like quite downbeat but it's not downbeat in terms of being about things that are, are horrifically world affecting but it is tonally uh, you know an incredibly sad film in terms of how utterly disconnected and lonely the characters in it are and yet like I struggle to think of many films that consistently make me laugh as much as it does I just mm. I just think it's I mean it's I wouldn't I'm not even sure I'd call it a comedy but it is so funny. I mean, it is a comedy. It's a comedy drama, or it's a black comedy. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, so many of the lines and so many of the jokes and so much of the dialogue is just... I just, I'm just thinking of, like, lines and... <laughs> yeah, you just think of bits. You just think of bits like the bit in the video store or um, the bit where she's working in the cinema I would or never can we call you weirder? At, yeah, I would never not laugh at we came by to fuck you, but you were not... Doing but you were not, okay. <laughs> Sign Tiffany and Amber. <laughs> okay, See, so while I think... Quotes a lot. <laughs> while I think that Ghost World will win this category, um, I would say that I... I I think my particular favourites elsewhere... I mean, I talked a lot about the things I like about Doctor Strange um, recently on the podcast and, and probably on the first half of the <coughs> award show. Um, just in terms of the way it we- weaves its themes and it doesn't have such an obvious MacGuffin in the middle of it and that it subverts the ending. In terms of doing stuff a little bit differently within the Marvel model, I think Doctor Strange... Um, mm-hmm. That screenplay deserves a lot of credit. Um, also, but I X-Men. think it deserves a lot of criticism for, even by the standards of MCU films, completely underwriting its female lead. Like, especially yes. given that they've yeah, got yeah, Rachel yeah. McAdams. So to underwrite a character for her to such a severe yeah. degree is a real letdown in Doctor Strange. And I think and like probably it really the comedy as well. So. Oh, yeah, no, well, we, it did um, make me laugh. I, I, I didn't. I liked a lot of the comedy in it. Actually, we we argued about this, but I and and about some of the comedy working and some of it not working. I still think it could have probably done with like a Joss Whedon punch up. Like I think a lot of the um, Phase that Two movies. Got. To be fair, that is true of basically every film. Yeah, it could have. Well, oh, just any any kind of pass from someone more comedically minded. Like it seems a lot of these Marvel Phase Three movies have. But maybe Speaking Scott of, Scott Derrickson, that's not his forte. <laughs> Speaking of Joss Whedon punch-ups. Yeah. That's well, X, segue to X-Men. X-Men, <laughs> yeah. Um, which probably can't win because of those Joss Whedon punch-ups. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just wanted to give that film credit, I think, for the uh, speed and efficiency of the world-building it does in the first act, for the strength of the characters it builds in, builds in Wolverine, in Magneto, and in Professor X, in the thematic concerns it introduces very early on. Um, having said that, some of the actual basic plot mechanics um, of the superhero-ness of it don't work quite as well, I would say. I mean, the um, thing that I've struggled to think about X-Men is that, like, this is the these are the same people who have been with the franchise for, like, 16 years now. <laughs> And that film is so, like, tight and efficient and on point. And Days of Future Past and especially Apocalypse are just complete fucking messes. Sometimes it's hard to bring the passion and enthusiasm and, uh, like, originality to something that you've been doing multiple times yeah, so over why, 15, why 16 years. don't they let it go? I mean, Singer has let it go finally, but they've still got Simon Kimbo Watts' face around. around. Yeah, um, but best screenplay unanimously. The winner is Ghost World. Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, we'll move on to um, another fun category. Um, this uh, relates... It's similar to our worst movie award, but we've mixed things up a little bit. Um, I thought last year there was there was a category that was... We, we failed to adequately award Howard the Duck, basically. There is a type of film that we, that we talk about on this podcast that we are going to devote an hour and a half of conversation to on the podcast, but we know going in there is no chance they're going to be good. And so this is the best bad movie category, which is kind of a movie that we all agree isn't really good, but we kind of enjoy watching and we kind of enjoy talking about. Um, and so I, I, think this, I think if we'd have done this award last year... Howard, yeah, we're, we're, Howard the Duck would have. We're retrospectively awarding this to Howard the Duck for 2015, right? I, in, in fact, yeah. I'm tempted to say, like you know, the Golden Globes they have the Cecil B. DeMille Award. I think this is the Howard the Duck Award for best bad it's, movie. It's the Howard T. Duck <laughs> Award. Yes. <laughs> so the nominees in the Howard T. Duck category are The Punisher, Batman v Superman. Get a wrong category, but uh, Nick Fury, Constantine. Suicide Squad and others receiving votes were League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which just missed out. Um, I think I have a clear favourite here, guys, but I'd be interested to hear what you think uh, from this list of movies. The one that it's bad, but you kind of enjoy it in spite of it. Um, I, I mean, mean I, before... Well, can I can I do mine quickly? Because yeah. I know you haven't seen Suicide Squad and Joe yeah. hates it. <laughs> like, for mm. me... Between Margot Robbie and Will Smith and the kind of crappy jokes that they throw in that are sort of fun, like the Slipknot stuff, it's funny. It's dumb, but it's funny. And so it's like, I would rather watch a film with sort of good characters and good jokes, even if the everything else about it is incompetent, because that's just how I'm wired. Like, I'd rather watch that than sort of enjoyably mediocre you will have Trash to remind me. You'll have to remind me of these good jokes in Suicide Squad, um, and also the good the good <laughs> characters on, the who aren't basically like, Will Smith and this. Will the Slipknot thing is terrible. It's so badly executed. Hated nah. it, James. Hated nah. it. I laughed, I no. I, I saw it coming and I still laughed. <laughs> it was the way Captain Boomerang kind of nudged him along. Uh, uh, uh. Um, Seb, do um, you? Do you I feel think... similarly about Batman v Superman, maybe? In that it's not um, good, but you like a lot about it? or I don't, Yeah, but not in the sense that I think is appropriate for this category. Right. Um, like, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's a great movie, but I also don't think it's a bad movie, and that's why I don't think it's a good, bad movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> so um, is, that, is that similarly something that maybe would rule out Constantine, in that it's... Yeah. It's not good, but it's not bad. It's just it's just fine. Con- yeah, Con- Constantine is not a movie that I like in spite of it being terrible. It's just... I, 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 I quite like it because it's an okay movie. I'd almost put League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in that category as well, although I think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is, is quite a bad movie. I mean, no... I for, it's for, a I mean, bad, bad movie. There, there's something <laughs> that I think seems like an obvious candidate for this, um, which would have been my pick until you read out the nominations and I realised that there was one that I'd completely forgotten about. So... I do think in any other year, Nick Fury might have had a decent shout at this one. I mean, it's it's not good, and I'm I'm not sure how much I enjoyed watching it, but actually, the more we talked about it, I think we kind of developed a bit of a fondness for it. The way oh, the, did Viper. the Duck. The Viper is um, so much fun. 
but that, that um, speech that she gives in the middle said i mean if it was it for best bad speech. scene if the entire movie was that scene it would win by <laughs> a country mile um but no i think the obvious winner here is the punisher um actually yes. the the more i thought about like of of these films the punisher is the one i'd happily go back and rewatch like i want to rewatch it it was so much fun i almost i almost but just didn't nominate howard saint for best villain um because <laughs> i just, i, I mean, a it's, blast with that movie it's, it's terrible. not objectively a good film at all it's a confused mess but there is a lot to enjoy about it um, and I like Thomas Jane. I like the the like the terrible Mad Maxiness of it in the first act. The like mm. um, the silliness of the t-shirt and the uh, there's there's so much of it that is absolute nonsense. The I mean, I, I did coming feel in and fighting for the, him. I've, I felt for the first sort of. I seem to remember that for the, about the first twenty minutes or so, it felt to me like a this is a so bad it's bad film. And then it it was around that point, maybe about thirty or forty minutes in, where it started to get better at being bad. And actually, I think the I think the the second half of the film made me look more fondly on the first half in retrospect. Um, yeah, it's as I say, I, I couldn't recommend it to anyone as a good film. But of you know, given the kind of film that that we are inclined to talk about on this. Um, it did seem quite nicely pitched to to appeal to us, um, mm. in, in spite of ourselves. You know? I mean, the thing is, like, I would still rather go and watch Suicide Squad than The Punisher. Oh, you're you're insane, James. You are legitimately else, I, insane. I get more enjoyment out of the absolute like car crash portrayal of Enchantress and uh, Inferno oh. and stuff like that than I do for the sort of me. Like, if you're going to be bad, it'd be fucking terrible. Look, here's the difference, right? The Punisher is so bad, it's kind of good. Suicide Squad is so bad that it's good that it goes all the way around and becomes bad again. Like that's <laughs> that's how bad it is. Like it's it's just I I can't uh, but like I can't the, climac- the climactic scene, which consists of like them working together by kicking stuff across a courtyard, and like that's their big moment. Like, how can you not be crying with laughter at that? Like I think, yeah, I but just that's not in a good way. That's just to... about the, the the shitness of the film. I I mean I I can't I it's can't just begin so to inept. get on board with it's you. It's so James. inept that I yes. enjoy it. No, we're so, <laughs> we're so close. We're so close, James. <laughs> we're so close. Um, but I I I think you're just going to be plain outvoted here because I think yeah, Seb and I'm, I both agree I'm that the Punisher and I haven't there. seen Suicide Squad. Which I'm sure there are people out it. there who agree with me, and I'm happy to I'm have sure, represented them. I'm sure there are. Um, they are also wrong. Um, but the, <laughs> <laughs> the winner of the best bad movie, the Howard T. Duck Award, is the Punisher. Um, and so that I, I feel like that's going to be, be a, a popular year. one with our listenership. I, I feel like of the listenership that that I've got to know on on Twitter and so on. I, I feel like this is one where our listenership would be in agreement with us. Like you, you guys must like the Punisher. Seb, as well, when you right? when you watch Suicide Squad, I want you to do a mini cast by yourself episode, <laughs> just of yourself talking about it. I'll do a live I, commentary. I'm dying on it. to know what you think about <laughs> it, and it's been so long since it came out. I, I still don't intend to watch it, but oh, I, will, I will at some point. <laughs> come but. on, just for Margot Robbie, if nothing else, you should I'll, see it. I'll get drunk and watch it over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good idea to me. Fair enough. 
Um, I also, a, a, a couple of things there. I think that does speak to, sometimes on this podcast, we watch a crap film and we struggle to talk about it for an hour and a half. Um, Planet and <laughs> But whereas I think the, the Punisher, we, we didn't we didn't have that problem whatsoever. Um, and also, I think it's kind of nice that probably, that our podcast is nominating or rewarding Thomas Jane's Punisher this year and, and no other Punisher. That he is our favourite one from this year. <laughs> that won't, there won't be many podcasts where you get to say that. Um, uh, to I, be fair, like I, I in best actor, was it best actor? Wait, have yes. We done, I know. No, it was, it was. Have we done that? You category? did. Yeah. Uh, no, we did. We haven't. Oh, it's in best actor. It was category thawed, and it did not make its way through the uh, <laughs> through the process. Just because you were the only. But again, one that's probably because I haven't seen it yet. Yes, yeah. and I and I just I think he's good, but not. Not Thomas Jane good, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. He just wasn't one of my fav- my five favourites, James. Um, Fair enough. Okay, well, we'll move on to... Um, I think this is going to be a, probably a pretty quick category because there's so much difference in, the terms, in terms of which of us have seen what things. We wanted to, now that we're including so many bonus episodes and getting to so, so many TV shows in the course of the year, do a Best TV Show Award... And so this is not the shows that are on TV this year. So this isn't Preacher or Legends of Tomorrow, which both premiered in 2016, I think. Um, these are the shows that we've covered on bonus episodes of the podcast. So we've got Agent Carter Season 2, Daredevil Season 2, uh, The Flash, which we think is now Season 1 and 2, and Luke Cage Season 1. Um, and so I think the easiest way to do this, James, you have seen both of the um, Netflix TV shows. You've seen Daredevil Season 2 and Luke Cage Season 1. Which would be your favourite of those two? Which would you put through to the final? Of those two, uh, it's got to be Daredevil. Okay, so Daredevil if Season 2. If only for two. the Punisher and that, that one Kingpin episode. Spoilers. Oh, God. Oh, that, that Kingpin episode is so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seb, Agent Carter Season 2 or The Flash? Choose. That's really unfair because, like, we've all seen Agent <laughs> Carter, so that should be the standard that it's up against. I, I, um, are you saying that if I say The Flash, like, there won't be the opportunity to vote for Agent Carter against the other MCU ones? No, I'm just saying that if you vote for The Flash, then that. If you don't vote for The Flash, then it won't win. And if you don't vote for Agent Carter, then it won't win. You're eliminating one. Which is your favourite? That's really. I, I, I don't believe Shoot one of your that children. I should have to choose between those two. <laughs> um, I think for consistency, which it achieves by being shorter, um, yeah, it's going to. I mean, as much as I love The Flash, and I, I think I liked season two of The Flash more than the majority of, of fans of The Flash did, um, but I'm going to have to say Agent Carter. I mean, okay, the thing like is. Sebi's right. choice. Agent Carter Season 2, I think, is up there with the best thing of all the Marvel Studios stuff. Like, Netflix, movies, TV, anything. Agent Carter Series 2 is, like, as fucking good as it gets. Yeah. Should we, should we just see, give it the award now? <laughs> you see, if I if I had been in sub shoes there, and if I had been choosing between all four of these shows, I would have gone for The Flash, um, which is my favourite superhero TV show um, that's airing right now, and that I've watched, you know, c- across the course of the last two or three years. Um, I do really like Agent Carter season two, though, and if it comes down to a straight fight between that and Daredevil season two. 
Uh, Daredevil season two has its moments. I don't like it as much as season one. I think it um, fumbles a lot in the second half. Um, I think it wastes Electra. Um, yeah, and I mean, like it, the a lot hand of what stuff like about, towards the end is bad. A lot of what I like about Daredevil season two is just that it's very fanservice-y In that it's like ninjas, the hands, the Punisher, Electra. It's like it's got mm. all that stuff. It's got stick in it loads. So, like, as a Daredevil nerd, I, like, enjoyed it constantly. Like, it was a... I was in a state of near ecstasy for, like, 13 episodes or whatever it was. But at the <laughs> same time, I can't say that it wasn't, like, badly paced and badly structured and a little confusing and poorly resolved. Um, we've got... Uh, so, well, I, I mean, like I said, I think my favourite would have been The Flash Season 1, but the consensus and the, the show that all of us have watched as well, Agent Carter Season 2... Um, that's our best TV show of 2016 and it also aired in 2016 so that's nice I just want to say like, it's a bit sad that we haven't got around to covering Supergirl yet but we probably should at some point I would love to cover Supergirl at some point because I am still consistently watching it maybe when they do their Flash Supergirl musical crossover would be a would be <laughs> yeah, a nice I mean, opportunity Super, Supergirl's the only superhero TV show that I'm watching weekly and especially the only non-Marvel one. I tried to watch Preacher and I gave up after about six episodes. Yeah, yeah the, thing, the thing about... We, we never got around to covering Preacher, but the thing about Preacher is um, you could have taken the first episode, the last episode, and one or two episodes from the middle and it would have achieved exactly the same as it achieved over the course of ten episodes. <laughs> the, 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 the first episode and the last episode are great, especially the last episode. And it, But you're just like, why did it take you this long to get to doing this thing that you do in episode ten? <laughs> And why did you waste time on a load of not very good stuff? <laughs> anyway, okay, that's um, and Supergirl. That's a, that's a I, I'm still I'm still quite behind on, but I will just say because I don't think we've we, it, this is a good opportunity because it's the end of year special that um, Tyler Herchlin's. I always forget how do you how do you, what's this? I think it's Hecklin. Herchlin. Hecklin. I think it's Hecklin, um, but I could be wrong. Uh, was great. I I, I watched yeah. the Superman episode and I thought he was great. Correct. And obviously, Melissa Benoist is great, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Important to get these things down on the record while we're taking care of business <laughs> for the year, I think. <laughs> okay, um, well, we're, we're getting towards our last few awards. I think there's about four or five left. So we'll get one of our biggies out of the way, and this is Best Actor. Um, four names that didn't quite make the list. Um, James, you mentioned one of them already. Uh, John Bernthal, you nominated. Mike Coulter, Grant Gustin from The Flash, and Michael Keaton from Batman Returns. So, oh, poor Keaton. <laughs> our five nominees. Uh, we've got one case of category fraud. Uh, Tom Hiddleston makes it into the best ca- best actor category. Um, we also have Jim Carrey for The Mask. We have Chris Evans for Captain America: The First Avenger and Civil War. We have Hugh Jackman for X Men. Again, I would exclude X Men Apocalypse. And we have Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool. The Golden Globe nominated best actor. Ryan Reynolds wow. for Deadpool. So we, uh, God, we share something with the Golden Globes. Quick, quick, <laughs> strike it from the record. We've, uh, uh, as we've said multiple times on the podcast, we are just as easily bribed. Please, Tom Ford, send us your perfumed cards um, along with our Marvel <laughs> checks. Um, guys, do we have any any favourites here? I was very surprised when I went back through this list, the people that I was uh, leaning towards, and there are two in particular um, I've, in this I've list got, that I'm going to bang the drum for. I've got two that I can't 
that I can't choose between actually. So I'm I'm interested to see what you guys think as to whether my, you have the same two or my two that I can't pick between are Hugh Jackman and Tom Hiddleston. Oh, okay, okay. that's a completely different two from mine. <laughs> who, who are yours, Seb? Uh, Chris Evans and Ryan Reynolds. And my two are Jim Carrey and Hugh Jackman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to have some fun in this category. Um, my argument against Tom Hiddleston is that he has committed category fraud. And again, in the same way that Loki is a better villain in future movies, I think Tom Hiddleston is still... I think he's good in this, but I don't think he's quite as scenery-chewing as he is in any of his future yeah. appearances. Yeah, I'm willing to willing to drop him on that basis. And in fact, I think even if I think of Tom Hiddleston performances outside of uh, superhero stuff... Um, I think this might be one of his of his weaker turns. Full stop in in anything mm-hmm. I saw him in. So, I I struggled. I struggled to bang the drum for him. Um, and I'm as surprised as I am. I love Ryan Reynolds, and I've been minorly obsessed with Ryan Reynolds since Two Guys a Girls and a pe- Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place. <laughs> um, He's just being Ryan Reynolds, and that's a great decision to make for this character. But literally, Ryan Reynolds on a red carpet is Deadpool with less dick jokes, and not always with less dick jokes. But he is so integral to, like, anything that works about that film. Yeah, the movie is him. Yeah. The tone of the movie is Ryan Reynolds, the star of the movie is Ryan Reynolds, Uh, the executive producer who can sack the director is Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) He's the reason the film got made. He is everything about the film. But it is I mean, Ryan Reynolds. Is, it's not a performance. It's just Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Well, and that's fine, well, but it's like great. His... Couldn't you say the same thing about Jim Carrey in The Mask? Um, I, well, I see, I don't think that is Jim Carrey. I think it's a very Jim Carrey performance. But in the same way that you could have like pointed to Robin Williams and said, that's a Robin Williams typical performance, and that's a Robin Williams typical performance. Very <laughs> wow. turned on for the camera, but... It's something that has been specifically, you know, dialed up for film. Whereas I don't think that that is Reynolds so much. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Jim Carrey is a really, really fantastically talented comedic performer, and the physical stuff he does is incredible. And um, I mean, I don't think yeah. either of Seb or I would disagree with that. But at the same time, I think none of us would say. The Mask is Jim Carrey's best performance. Like, whether you're no. looking for pathos or comedic performance. In, in terms of comedy, I think it's up there. I, I really do think it's, up, it's there, up there. But it's not Dumb and Dumber, is it? I, no. I, uh, well, that that's where we differ, but um, I, I think this might... I don't know. Nothing springs to mind as obviously better. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> But it does for you guys. It doesn't for me, which is which is fine. But that's that's why I that's why I'm so high on Jim Carrey in this category. Um, yeah, but it doesn't sound like he's gonna win. So it sounds like we are down to Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, and Chris Evans. So James, do you want to make the case for Hugh Jackman, who was the other one that I was leaning towards? Uh, I mean, he just is Wolverine. Like he stepped off the page and became that character and inhabited him in a way that I would not have believed possible before it happened Um, with Chris Evans it's like he came up with a version of Captain America that 
that I believe and believe in. But I just think in all the films he's been in, which have been of highly variable quality, you still, like, it doesn't matter how much Hugh Jackman is on screen, you're still going, let's have more Hugh Jackman. Mm. Like, whether that's four seconds in the middle of the film or whether that's an entire shitty Wolverine movie. You're just thinking, well, that sucked, but Hugh Jackman still got it. <laughs> and I talked about this on the podcast. I think this is peak Wolverine. I think this is Jackman walking in and, and doing the character as well as he ever did him. Uh, <laughs> that he's not... That there's no reliance or falling back on any kind of enormous muscles. Um, this is a character that he's had very little time to prepare and come in and visually looks incredible. Um, and Jackman sells it from word go. And he sells the feral fighter, um, like rebel version of the character just as much as he sells the kind of like the, the heart of gold underneath the guy who wants to look after Rogue and who pines yeah. for someone like Gene to like him and um, and is haunted by his past. And I think he sells all of those things in there. Um, and so while I like Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool, um, he's he's incredibly funny. And while I like Chris Evans in Captain America, um, I just don't think any of the, the other nominees in this category are doing quite as much as Jackman are and doing them so well. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out, I think this is like x-men one is hugh jackman's best wolverine performance or at least as good as it ever gets whereas chris that, evans i think does better steve rogers in other films than the ones we've watched this year yeah i think winter soldier might be his standout yeah, exactly yeah and, and avengers i think as well yeah yeah um because in avengers you've got is, is avengers is the film that lets him play the Steve Rogers has woken up 70 years later and is dealing with yeah. the modern world stuff <laughs> and, and dealing with the people around him. Um, yeah. So as as much as I love him in that role, and you know you know that I really do, um, I'm I'm willing to concede that one. And similarly, yeah, with I mean, my my vote would probably still just about be for Ryan Reynolds, but I'm happy for you both to vote for Hugh Jackman and and have that be the. I don't dispute Hugh Jackman winning this one. Um, because okay, I'm James. in those films as well, and James, and are you right, happy to? Uh, he really stands out in. Are you happy to lock in Hugh Jackman as the winner here, James? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Hugh Jackman is our winner of Best Actor. Okay, so our next category is Best Casting, which I believe was won um, understandably by Scott Pilgrim versus the World last year. Um, our nominees who just just didn't make the cut here were Kingsman, X Men, The Flash, Agent Carter, and Doctor Strange. Oh, Agent Carter. Yeah, but it's just season two, isn't it? So it's done all the good work already. Yeah. I mean, okay. whenever it's great, Camerino's fine. Eh, it's okay. Decent second series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best casting then, the nominees are Captain America, The First Avenger, Ghost World, Batman Returns, Spider-Man 2, and The Flash. Um Guys, let's let's just skip straight to what what are the ones there that what what's the one that for you is really really standing out? There's two I mean, there, for me there's again. no weak link in Captain America: First Avenger, is there? Bucky, not really. No, uh, Bucky. Well, yeah, but he's barely in it. 
I mean, we yeah, we, I think we we spent we did spend a lot of time on a recent podcast discussing how much we love the supporting cast. And, and like, let's, to, let's Toby it, Jones didn't like, come up for best supporting in our previous category. Yeah, and, oh yeah, because you know. <laughs> I think he got he got uh, boxed out by Stanley Tucci. Yeah, like, if we're being honest, Sebastian Stan's performance in the first Avenger is the best of his three. <laughs> I think though that that's as the bad as that's it the is. thing. That's the thing that maybe torpedoes this for me, though, is that because Sebastian Stan is almost the most vital, not to that movie, but to the Marvel Cinematic Universe going for, obviously apart from Steve Rogers. But I, I think it's thrown a spanner in the works, uh, and I think it has uh, decreased my enjoyment of the next two Cap films uh, that I don't buy Sebastian Stan as Bucky or The Winter Soldier. Um, and... Uh, it's it's left to Chris Evans to sell that relationship because um, Sebastian Stan can't and I know there's loads of people who say he's great and I like him in this thing and that thing I've just never seen it in these Marvel movies and I haven't seen him in other stuff so I'm not saying he's a bad actor he I'm was just saying he was in The Martian and I didn't notice it was him <laughs> that's well, how good a performer he is he's basically invisible <laughs> everyone from a superhero movie was in The Martian James um I think my I think my choice here would be The Flash um, because Grant Gustin's incredible and Tom Kavanagh as Harrison Wells is so good that they've literally writ written him about four or five different roles since then just to get him back in the show. Um, I, I, I know that some people have a problem with Iris. I did in about the first half of season one and haven't had an issue since. Um... Jesse L. Martin as uh, as um, Barry's kind of uh, uh, pseudo father, and and then bringing back John Wesley Shipp as his actual dad, and just and the fun that they have with we... supporting characters like Wentworth Miller. Come I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. And as Captain Cold, that it's a show that hasn't been afraid to just have fun with these DC characters from the comics in a way that um, I don't think the Marvel shows have ever have ever done. Really? They, throw, I th I they think... throw caution to the wind and just do it. 
I think something that would tip the, the the flash positively as well is, I mean, as maybe not perfect as he always is in his performances, but um, spoilers, having John Wesley Shipp play the real Jay Garrick, I mean, just you can't get more perfect than doing a, a, a modern Flash TV show and deciding to cast um, John Wesley Shipp as Jay Garrick. That's just was such a great move. Um, that you know, why, and it does lots. Why of was little. that for people who haven't seen the Flash? Because he was the original TV Flash. Okay, so I yeah, having, that was what was going on. But I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He played he yeah. played the Barry Allen Flash in the '90s TV series. So mm. now he plays the Jay Garrick. Well, not Golden Age because he's from an alternate Earth. But yeah, he, yeah. and I can't overestimate um, how good I think Grant Gustin is in that role, and has made me care about a character that absolutely. Um, I, ca- I, I mean. I just didn't expect to care about going in. Even I, who hasn't seen The Flash, like, I, Grant Gustin, when he guested in Supergirl, I, you know, I saw why people like him. Yeah, and, li- and like I say, that it's, I mean, Grant Gustin is the thing that stands out for me um, amongst the casting, but it it goes deep down the cast, and I mean, I think they've they've done strong work in the, in, in the most recent season, um, you know the, the the fact that I think the best characters that show up on Legends of, Tomo- of Tomorrow are the ones that they introduced in the Flash, and occasionally they make little missteps here and there. But I mean, I'm thinking of characters like um, Victor Garber coming in as Martin Stein and and <laughs> being incredible. And I loved um, I love Patty in season two, even though she's gone now. Um, I'm really enjoying Tom Felton in season three, which is not yeah. eligible for this. <laughs> But Tom Felton casting is great, and you think that they've done something terrible with that casting. You think it's really bad, but it, I think they've they they've just uh, they've they've done a uh, uh, well. I don't want to spoil anything, but I think they've handled that character very well. Um, and going back to season one, you had um, Rick Cosnett as Eddie Thorne, who um, I think just. just fantastically cast just because of his voice that you you are convinced that he's the villain the entire way through the series only for him to be a bigger hero than Barry um yeah I this would be my choice because I think it's got it's it's got it so consistently right and in terms of the most crucial piece of casting in Grant Gustin I think that's up there with a lot of stuff in Captain America with with the Chris Evans casting and and the supporting cast, but it doesn't have the thing that has ruined it for me in in the way that <laughs> Sebastian Stan has ruined certain aspects. I mean, well, let's just say then, if you vote for the Flash and I vote for Captain America, then it's up to Seb, who loves both of those things, to decide once again. Well, we haven't talked about Ghost World yet, and I thought Ghost <laughs> yeah. World was going to walk this because you've got the lead trio of Birch, Johansson, and Buscemi, and then you've got all of these great little roles that are a combination of great character actors who I have heard of. So you've got like Bob Balaban and Ileana Douglas uh, and Patrick Fischler turning up as the video guy, and David yeah, Cross yeah, yeah. shows up for, for a scene being a dick. <laughs> And then you've got a bunch of supporting characters uh, who are all great, played by people I've never heard of and never seen again, like the guy who plays Weird Al, um, <laughs> you know, and like and the Red Hot Chili Peppers guy, and the the Doug guy, yeah, um, yeah, you know, um, Brad Brad Renfro's a bit nothingy, I suppose, but otherwise, yeah, it's just it, there's barely a, a foot wrong in that either. So, hmm. 
there's a strong case to be made for that. But if we're choosing between Captain America and the Flash, I mean, well, we, we no, we don't have it. to. Well, we, we don't. I, I'm what? kind of happy to vote for Captain America because I think it's been getting short shrift in these awards so far. Um, okay. And I think <laughs> I think what came out of the the podcast that we did that we recorded only a, a week or so ago was probably the strongest thing about that film is its wide and very strong supporting cast. Um, it's got two great villains in it in a series that, that traditionally tends to struggle a bit with villains. Um, and it's got Hayley Atwell and it's got um, Stanley Tucci. And, yeah, I, I don't think Sebastian Stan can bring it down enough. So, yeah, fair enough. You um, had me at Atwell. You had me at Atwell. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so best casting goes to Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, the last of our smaller categories, um, and again, something that's uh, more unique to a superhero podcast, is best couple. Um, now, we had a few that didn't quite make the list. Uh, two two suggestions from uh, James, Steve Rogers and Bucky, and Steve Rogers <laughs> and Sam Wilson. Uh, we also had Peter and Mary Jane Watson and Peter and Gwen Stacy both not quite making the list. And we had uh, Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz from The Mask. Um, the nominees are Enid and Seymour from Ghost World, uh, Bruce and Selina from Batman Returns, James's suggestion again, Steve and Tony from Captain America Civil War. Um, then we've got our two unanimous choices who I think this award is going to come down to. This is Wade and Vanessa from Deadpool and Steve and Peggy from Captain America. Um, you guys all know my love for Steve and Peggy as a couple um i think i went deep into this on our recent podcast um however i do think the wade and vanessa relationship in deadpool is really refreshing i think it's a shame that she gets damseled at the end but Hmm. for that love montage early in the film alone and for the boldness (laughs) of having a superhero movie where our hero gets pegged by his girlfriend <laughs> to celebrate International Women's Day is is something really remarkable. And I think Marina Bakarin is a really, really brilliant. And, I, 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 um, on, a, on a completely sincere level as well, um, what really drove home that working for me is right at the very end, uh, it's the line when she says to him, so you live in a house? Um calling back their four Yorkshiremen, you know, one-upmanship <laughs> thing. Yeah. Like, that line, and the way that that line is delivered, and when it's delivered, and the context, like, that that really sold that relationship for me. That, that little mm. moment is great. And it, like, it worked because you had already absorbed the context of their relationship previously. Um, and I really, I think really it's liked the most... that moment, and that was enough to to sell me on that. It's the most surprising thing about Deadpool that it is able to, in the midst of this foul-mouthed, dick-joke-filled superhero, almost parody movie, that they sell the emotion of the romance. That's They spend time actually showing, like, Wade's <laughs> I mean, really more, depressed about the romance. It's, more it, than... More than like any other superhero film for God knows how long. Like, that's a, that's a romance you feel like... Mm. Mm. When Spider-Man and Mary Jane are like making out, you're just like, "Well, this is a thing that happens because that's what those characters do." Yeah, what, Wade and oh. Vanessa, like you, you feel that in your gut, like that's and the, proper proper romance, like sold well. The other end of the spectrum is 
Stephen Peggy where most of it goes unsaid and the film doesn't really take too much time to linger on the relationship but it is very clearly there and it's the thing that emotionally underpins the whole movie ultimately Mm -hmm. Um, and James argued against it very heavily on the last podcast (laughs) (laughs) well I think it's the thing that drives forward the first series of Agent Carter as well Um, I think the fact that Hayley Atwell has been brought back to return so many times um, speaks to not only that that character is awesome and um, a great hero in her own right away from Steve Rogers but the fact that she flashes back up in Avengers Age of Ultron like that is something that has to have resonated with um, Joss Whedon and um, for him to want to make that the emotional underpinning for Steve in Age of Ultron even um, I think it's the strongest relationship in the MCU by a long way um, it is, but that's because the MCU has been so traditionally bad at doing relationships. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we I think Tony and Pepper won this category last year. So the so the the decision we now have to make is whether we stick with Stephen Peggy and you know carry on the MCU tradition, or whether we um, you know we uh, place a vote for pegging. Peggy or pegging, guys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, pegging. <laughs> pegging. <laughs> so Wade and Vanessa are our couple of the year for 2016 yeah okay and I'll tell you what I'm going to rescind that award if they don't bring Marina Bakarin back for the sequel because I know they're bringing in Domino and they need to keep her around because she I'm sure great. they're going to reveal that Vanessa is copycat I'm sure of it uh, possibly but maybe they won't need to if they're recasting but hey more tangents we'll get to that in 2018 Um, the penultimate of our main categories now and this is best actress Um, just missing out someone we've just spoken a lot about uh, Marina Bakarin didn't quite make the list Um, Tilda Swinton was voted for in this category but ended up getting the uh, supporting actress nomination instead and Scarlett Johansson again turned up in uh, supporting actress rather than actress so our nominees in this category are Emma Stone for The Amazing Spider-Man Thora Birch for Ghost World, Margot Robbie for Suicide Squad, Michelle Pfeiffer for um, Batman Returns, and Hayley Atwell for Agent Carter Season 2 and Captain America The First Avenger. This is a really strong category, you guys. Um, I know we've said uh, that superhero movies don't always do a great job by its female characters. Um, These are the exceptions. Um... I think maybe the one where you could argue that the film doesn't is Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and maybe that's all the more credit to Emma Stone for being so good in that film um, without being potentially given the material. Uh, but I mean, everyone else, Thora Birch and Ghost World. I mean, Margot Robbie, we've talked about. She's an icon and I put that down to her rather than anything the film does. Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns is one of the all-time greats. And Hayley Atwell, I am in deep and undying love with. So I don't know how to choose. <laughs> this is tough. Someone, someone tell, someone tell me who we should be picking here. I would be happy with any of these, but I think just because she can do comedy and pathos, uh, Hayley Atwell. Because oh, I thought you were going to say Margot Robbie when you said that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a lot of pathos in in Margot Robbie's performance. Well, there's that there's comedy. that there's that one scene after the Joker has basically uh, abandoned her, where you see that. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's there, 
but Hayley Atwell has a much greater volume of it. Like, in Captain America and in all of Agent Carter, she doesn't put a foot wrong. So, the only bad thing in Agent Carter is her relationship with that scientist guy whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, and that's entirely down to him having no chemistry with her. And, like, she does what she can, but it doesn't work. I think but the, the I, best I think stuff... her fault. The best stuff of Hayley Atwell here is... I mean, because I think this has to be probably more Agent Carter Season 2 than the first Avenger, because one's a lead role and one's a supporting one, I would argue. Um, mm -hmm. The stuff where she's going undercover. Um, I, I'm remembering particularly the scene where she kind of knocks out Ray Wise multiple times while she's <laughs> dressed in a, in, a, in a blonde wig, I think, and pretending to be some kind of secretary. Um, when or, or like when she goes up to um, Whitney Frost's husband at the race course and is doing her ditzy American accent. Um, yeah, she does some really great stuff there. I mean, Hayley Atwell's fantastic. Um, so I would I would be happy to go along with it. Having said that, I I worry we're sleeping on Fora Perch, who is incredible in Ghost World. Um, I mean, we wax lyrical about her on our Ghost World podcast. Like I said, I think Margot Robbie is the thing that's good about Suicide Squad. It's not that Harley Quinn is good, it's that Margot Robbie is good. Um, and the fact that she is supposedly creatively driving this um, spin-off movie is encouraging. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to imagine they're going to give us a pair of trousers in the next film, because <laughs> they've got to keep her happy, because she's Just the thing they need to keep around just give her a red and black harlequin outfit and we're 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 golden yeah. um seb do you have anyone you're passionate about here um i mean it feels like Haley atwell is the obvious choice um i think michelle pfeiffer is particularly strong as well um you know that is a real you know she she makes that role iconic and like People would still think of Catwoman almost entirely in terms of the the Michelle Pfeiffer version, even though you'd had the '60s Batman <laughs> TV series with various memorable Catwomen. Um, so uh, I feel like because I feel like there's another category coming up where we're going to essentially give Haley Atwell the award for the exact same thing that we give it <laughs> to her for here. But um, look, if she's I'm, if she's great, she's great. That's I'm torn between those two, but particularly if it's for being the lead in Agent Carter Series 2, um, I feel like maybe it should be her. Look, I'm not going to argue against Hayley Atwell winning an award. So If if, if nobody else is going to vote for Michelle Pfeiffer, then then I think it's it's Hayley Atwell anyway. I, so. I think my choice otherwise would be Margot Robbie. Um, and that's yeah, me. I mean, Margot, Margot Robbie's my second choice as well. So it's so, not going to be Michelle Pfeiffer. So it's Hayley Atwell then. <laughs> there we go then. Hayley Atwell is our best actress for 2016. And that leads us on to kind of our final of, of the main awards, which is best film. Um, so this is new films included uh, with basically anything we've covered on the podcast this year. All it does uh, rule out is the TV shows, which we uh, siphoned off into their own category. Um, <laughs> just missing out in terms of votes, Thor, X-Men and Doctor Strange. Um, so our final list of nominees were Captain America Civil War, Spider-Man 2, Ghost World, Captain America the First Avenger, and Batman Returns. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think based on the discussions we've had throughout this podcast, there are two here that look like they're going to be duking it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I would suggest are... 
the couldn't be more different Spider-Man 2 and Ghost World. Would yeah. you agree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, and I I find it very difficult to choose between them. I think I know what my my choice would be. Um so uh, if you're <laughs> you know if you're conflicted, well. James, um, are you are you picking Ghost World? No, I'm picking Spider-Man 2 just cuz <laughs> on the on the basis that like I'm a superhero nerd and Ghost World is an emotional roller coaster of a film, and if I if I had to watch one of these films every day for the rest of my life, I would just be like, I'm never gonna stop taking joy out of Spider Man Two, whereas Ghost World has the potential to fuck me up every time I watch it, and that's not <laughs> my idea of a great time. So. See, if 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 I could only ever watch one of these films every day, it, it it would be Ghost World. I mean, even just talking about it now makes me want to rewatch. I think the the difficulty that I have is. Ghost World is full stop one of my favourite films ever made. Like, across the entirety of film, it is one of my absolute favourite... I don't necessarily think it's one of the best films ever made, but it is one of my favourite films ever made. Whereas, this is, you know... Again, I've said it before, but, like, this is a comic book movie podcast, but with a particular focus on on the genre of superheroes. It's it, we, we predominantly talk about superheroes. And within the genre of superhero films like spider-man 2 is as we've said like it i agree with james it's comfortably top five i don't know exactly where in that top five it sits but it's it's in there and so within their respective genres spider-man 2 is higher than ghost world i i still maybe think ghost world is a better film than spider-man 2 but um I mean, Joe. I, I mean, I don't know what your vote is, so I don't even know if this is a tiebreak situation or if you know, if you agree with James, then it's then it's settled anyway. But what what do you think? Um, I was gonna pick Ghost World to make you make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the problem that we have because I, I mean, I I could sit here for an hour trying to make this decision. I feel like our listenership will be happier if it's Spider Man Two. I feel like it's more appropriate for it to be Spider Man Two. Um, Look, but Seb, you is, and I, I you and I, you and I are both torn. James is not. The thing is, I'm not so I'm I think even... James's decision has to, it has to carry the the deciding vote here. Mm. I mean, the thing is, I was about to backtrack and say like I love both films, <laughs> and like everything about Ghost, like I I was purely boiling it down to which film makes me happier, and that, that is Spider Man Two. I don't think it's necessarily better than Ghost World. Look, we're <laughs> like, not having yeah, a tie. Amazing. We're not having a tie. We're not one of these award shows. For these, no, we can't. Happily have a tie. Spider-Man Two or Ghost World? We need to decide. Ah, cast your. Can we put it? Can we put it to a listener vote (laughs) somehow? (laughs) Oh, we could. We could. Let's. Oh, that's yeah. (laughs) Listeners, do you want to decide our best film for us? I mean, if yeah, but if we we literally can't do it, can we? We literally can't choose between them. And they're so different, it's very hard to go, well, oh, well, that film does that thing better and that film does that thing better. I think that's the thing, that they're not a direct comparison. If this was Spider-Man 2 versus Civil War, um, well, that's a bad example maybe because they're both, you know... Um, I mean, like, Spider-Man 2 versus Avengers, say. You know, they're, they're both doing the same kind of thing and I think you could boil down the things that one does better than the other and, and come to a decision. Um, but... Yeah, I mean they they're doing such different things. Like um, I, I think I, I think Seb, you, it's a fantastic decision. 
we are not capable. We're going to put this to our listeners. So listeners, when you are listening to this, what we want you to do is head to our Twitter feed, which is at CU underscore podcast. Pinned to the top of our Twitter feed will be the word simply vote. One option will be Ghost World. The other option will be Spider-Man 2. And you have to decide for us. And we will announce on at the start of our next podcast which film won. I, I would like to urge people not to vote Spider-Man 2 simply because they haven't watched Ghost World. If you haven't seen both, what, yeah, watch vote, Ghost vote World if you've seen and both then of decide. Them. Yeah. Because okay, I'm wary fair. of Spider-Man 2 winning purely on popularity stakes. I mean, I do think that yeah. of our listenership, and I say I don't mean this as a, as a negative reflection of our, our listenership, but just purely the respective popularity of the films, more people listening right now will have seen Spider-Man 2 and enjoyed Spider-Man 2 than seen Ghost World. Um, but they are impossible to separate for completely different reasons. I mean, there's almost... I think the only thing that they have in common is that they have great casts, maybe. (laughs) That's about the only thing. Um, Okay, well, I think that's going to have to... uh, That's going to have to draw things to a close um, for best film. So our listeners are going to decide... Um, we were going to have a big discussion about who gets into the Hall of Fame and because co- last year we inducted Nicolas Cage into the Cinematic Universe Hall of Fame based on him being in Ghost Rider and um, Kick-Ass, which were kind of his finest work in the genre. We weren't going to get to go- get really get back to any good Nicolas Cage again. So we thought that it was our best time to stick Nick Cage in there as someone who has been amazing in, in superhero movies, but we weren't going to get to talk about it again. Someone else that we're not really going to get to talk about again in any kind of meaningful way because she's restricted to cameos from this point onwards is Hayley Atwell. And while I think there are other people that we've we've talked about here in uh, this year, we've talked about um, Chris Evans and I, I, Michael I, I, Keaton and people like that. We're gonna we're going to get more of those. And I think are we are we going to get more good Sam Raimi though? Because my feeling is that. If there was any competitor to Hayley Atwell here, it would be Sam Raimi. Well, we're going back to Darkman, I would imagine, at some point. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well Sam Raimi, Hayley Atwell. We've got, in the works, haven't I? You have thrown a spanner in the works. We have our best director winner taking on our best actress. Um, I mean, we are going to talk about Sam Raimi again, though, aren't we? Yeah, but yeah, but he won't get in the Hall of Fame for Spider-Man 3. He might. I mean, we don't know what what conclusions we're going to draw when we rewatch that film. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, th- I think I think based on the amount that we've talked about her this year and the terms in which we've talked about her this year, um, I think. Look, she know. died twice this year, <laughs> exactly. didn't she? She died twice. You know, she got she got she got her show ca- she got a show cancelled and she was ripped away from us, and then she was murdered in. I mean, she was ki- she was killed in Captain America: Civil War. Hayley Atwell suffered too many deaths this year to have the Hall of Fame place weaseled away from her by the <laughs> admittedly fantastic and all-time great director Sam Raimi. I, I, th- think, I think this is a nice and, and timely too. point at which to draw a final line under this podcast's obsession with Hayley Atwell. So yeah, we should <laughs> we should we should rein it back a bit after this. No, that's what I, mean, so I, think, I think. This is a nice way to do it. So yeah, Hayley Atwell is inducted into our Hall of Fame, and Sam Raimi may have a shot next year. We might have to start inducting multiple people in in future years because we're going to be five, ten, or be ten years in. There's only ten people in the Hall of Fame. It's not well, can we put Sam Raimi Jackman, in as well? Chris now, Evans and a Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Do we put one in the first year, two in the second year, three in the third year? Can we do yeah. that? Yeah, let's let's put Sam Raimi in as well. 
<laughs> we look, we we've refused to fudge our best film. Let's fudge our Hall of Fame. Sam Raimi <laughs> and Haley Atwell enter the Cinematic Universe Hall of Fame um, alongside Nicolas <laughs> Nick Cage. Nick Cage has been starving for an entire year. <laughs> now that's a dinner Lonely party, isn't crazed. it? crazed. That is one hell of a dinner party. <laughs> right, okay, so that's the that's all of our main awards handed out. So the last things we've got to cover are just kind of a little maybe more insular podcasty things. Um, so we'll talk about some of the comics that have been recommended this year. And pro- that's, in fact, probably a good place to start. Um, Seb, James, do you want to talk me through your recommendations for new comics from 2016 because um, this isn't something we normally get much of a chance to discuss on the podcast so it's nice at the end of the year to draw attention to something that you've both particularly enjoyed during the year james do you want to go first this comic is one of the best being published i think in basically the entire industry but there's not much call for us to touch it on the podcast just because of the subject matter um so I'd like to recommend Giant Days by... There are three main creators. It's written by John Allison, and it's drawn by Lissa Tremaine and Max Sarin. Um, with apologies to any names that I've mispronounced there. <laughs> it's it's also drawn by John Allison in the three self-published issues that are sort of a prequel to the to the main yeah. series but most people skip those um, and i know i know joe's read those pre those self-published prequel issues yeah. um the main series is kind of more of the same but in saying that like it's a book about three university age girls who move to sheffield uh to start their new life um and as a former university student in the uk <laughs> it like it resonates with me on so many levels like there are times when i go like giant days has done everything that encompasses my (laughs) experience of university and then they do an issue about your new shared house getting robbed (laughs) and i'm like oh that happened to me as well Uh, the fact that there's an entire issue about them joining the indie music society (laughs) (laughs) which i was on the committee of um yeah Uh, they do a music festival issue like it, they do the, the they do the going home me. over the break and getting jobs <laughs> <Yeah>. issue um <laughs> oh it's just like the thing that attracts me to giant days is as much as it being incredibly funny and telling like these wonderful sort of self-contained single issue stories and having amazing char- like all the characters are fucking hilarious yeah like uh, i'm trying to remember the names because it's late and I've forgotten everyone's uh, It's Esther, Daisy, and... Esther, yeah, like... E- Esther, e- Esther is, is hilarious. <laughs> like, everything she does is hilarious. And yet relatable. Like, there are things about <laughs> Esther I go, yeah, I do that. Um, Susan, Esther, and, Daisy, and Susan. That's yeah, it. And, and, like, Susan and Daisy as well. Like, they're, they're characters who you go, like, you can, you can see yourself in them, even though they're, like, three distinct archetypes. Um... And it's got a great supporting cast as well. Like, I, McGraw is mm. so <laughs> much fun. Like, everything about McGraw, who is like, he's this, like, analogue guy in a digital world. He's basically a, a young Ron Swanson, isn't he? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, just everything about McGraw I find brilliant. The idiosyncrasies in this book 
are so well observed. Like it reminds me of Scott Pilgrim in that it's got this kind of big cast of characters who all have like different gimmicks. I mean, but it's a lot more grounded than Scott Pilgrim. Uh, yeah, Scott Scott Pilgrim was the first thing that I thought, and it felt like one of those things where if you just made a Scott Pilgrim comparison, it would feel a bit lazy and a bit obvious. And I wondered mm-hmm. if the creator would actually like it being compared to Scott Pilgrim or would be quite annoyed by that comparison. Um, but the two ways that it made me think of Scott Pilgrim. Firstly, actually something that that the self-published issues do that the main series then kind of moves away from is it starts to slightly have a fantastical element and there's like a fight sequence in one of the early issues that's really like Scott mm-hmm. Pilgrim. It's like, it's because like when Esther first gets to university, like the popular girls think that she's going to be one of them because she was head girl at her school. They think that she's yeah. going to be a popular girl like them. Um, but actually she's she's a goth, so she she's not. But she ends up fighting them and it's a really Scott Pilgrim bit but the other thing is that the way that i felt when i started to read giant days and the more and more that i got into it i felt about it a way that i hadn't felt about a comic since i read scott pilgrim and it's it's kind of a slightly difficult thing to quantify but um there was just something about the combination of the humor and the characters and the relatability and the absurdity and the funniness of the art because the character expression, like no matter who's drawing it, whether it's Alison's original stuff or um, Tremaine and Sarin, like Tremaine only does like six issues, I think, and then um, Sarin takes over. And But both of them yeah. get so much humour in the expression of the characters. Um, and yeah, just like, it's just so, it's at the same time as being really funny, it's so warm and likeable. And the, the issue with um, Esther's friend from back home who has the baby is yeah, just yeah. like, oh, it's, I mean, you know, probably helps that we both have small children, but it's well, just. Yeah, again, that's, like... that's another thing where I was like, oh, look, Giant Day is doing my life. Again. Yeah. Oh, it's. Like, I, I don't know how well it will travel to American listeners because so much of what I like about it is it's like British. Mm. Although on, on our Thought Bubble podcast, um, Ryan North and Erica Henderson both recommended it as their favourite current <laughs> comic that Joe should read. So <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it probably is like the the uh, it's tough to quantify these things, but if I had to pick one book that was the best being published right now, it would be Giant Days. Like there's nothing nothing that edges it out for me and it's mainly because or partly because sorry like amidst all of the stuff that is good about it on a technical level it tells a story that works both as a continuing thing and as single issues yeah ev- every that, issue that in particular yeah. like is an overlooked craft especially in the modern sort of writing for trades box set binge watch culture where everything feels the need to be as flabby and overwritten as it can be just to fill time. Hmm. Like giant days is so tight and focused and just, it's like it's crafted out of marble. Hmm. Like it's just brilliant in every way. Yeah. And I think (laughs) anyone who reads comics should be reading giant days. Like there's no two ways about it. Yeah. There's no good reason not to read it. It's just, Yeah. yeah. Okay, James, you've become the latest in a long line of people to recommend Giant Days to me. Um, and yeah, I have started reading those first three um, like uh, mini-issues uh, that uh, preceded the main series, uh, which I picked up at Four Bubble, um, and um, I'm enjoying them a lot so far. Um, I don't think I'm hooked in to the point where I can be quite as effusive as you yet, but there is enough there that makes me want to 
uh, yeah, continue reading and uh, see where it goes, especially given, you know, all of this praise that I'm hearing for it. So um, Giant Days is your recommendation from 2016. Um, Seb, what have you got for us? I, I would sort of just like looking at um, sort of a lot of the stuff that I would talk about as best comics of 2016, um, I think is stuff that we've already talked about on the podcast, whether that's like recommendations that we've made for stuff or stuff that like um, that Joe has gone out and read. Uh, I mean, an obvious example would be the vision. Like I think yep, amazing. I think vision and squirrel girl um, mm. along with giant days yeah, stand up for yeah. me as, as the best comics of the year. Something that I've actually literally only just read because it, it popped up in a comicsology sale and I hadn't read it, but that I think is, I think it started in 2015, but um, it finished in 2016 and is quite relevant to the year in general um, is um, the Omega men. Um, which is a DC twelve-issue series written by Tom King. Just quickly, that that one page of uh, Vision that I've posted on Twitter before, but it's Vision and his wife talking about whether they should have, like, whether she should have described said their neighbours as seeming nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, just that page is so mm. brilliant. I mean, and it's so like offbeat and surprising like i think tom king is clearly a genius and i hope he doesn't get that thing where like you find an amazing writer and they do amazing work and then they just get overstretched and overstretched and it happened with nick spencer Charles and it happened, Soul, yeah. Soul, and I'm it's happened it's a bit with jeff lemire as well well yeah like they do these amazing like early efforts and then they just get ground into powder trying to be exploited to churn out as I, much as I think with Tom King I think so far he's going about things the right way and I mean I, I think having finally now read Omega Men which I've done in the last 24 hours um, I'm I'm pretty confident in calling 2016 the year of Tom King because you've had Vision <laughs> which is his real standout Omega Men and his run on Batman so far has been excellent I mean it started quite well and then his second arc is phenomenal and it's it's a very psychological take on Batman and it's very heavily stylized and it's very heavily him. It's not quite the Tom King of vision um, in terms of like the style of it, because, you know, he has to modify it a bit because he's, he's doing Batman he's doing the main Batman title, but it does feel very much like the work of the same writer in that he's really interested in getting into the psychological elements of this character that would make you uncomfortable and questioning like I think the biggest thing that Tom King does and I'll I'll talk about this when I do talk about Omega Men eventually as well um, is is he seems to very much enjoy questioning whether you should ever really consider these characters as heroes um, mm -hmm. and um, like I, th I think you'll, you'll worry about him becoming overstretched. I think so far he only ever seems at the moment to be working on one thing at a time. And I think he was doing Vision and Omega Men simultaneously. Um, and I think Vision yeah, overlapped got... Batman. At the moment, he's literally only doing Batman. And I think... Well, he got yanked to DC. Yeah, they, they let they let him finish Vision. Stupid move. <laughs> but Marvel, Marvel really let him slip through their hell, fingers. But... Um, Omega Men yeah. is very much a companion work to Vision. And if you liked Vision, James, as well, then I think you should read Omega Men as well, just, despite yeah, having I no mean, interest in DC. I... Um, <laughs> well, since DC's reboot, I was staying away from it. But I think on the strength of Vision, yeah. 
I think I might go and read a Mega Man. Well, this, I mean, I think it started pre-reboot as well, um, but it was, as in pre, oh, okay. not, you know, it's post-New 52, but pre-rebirth, because um, it's, yeah, looking at yeah. it, it started yeah. in August 2015. Um, but what the benefit of it is that um, while the characters share names with pre-existing characters and the, the corner of the universe that it's set in, again, is something that already existed it's very much his own its own thing like they're they're new versions of these characters the only character who has any pre-existing baggage or continuity is kyle rayner um and all you really need to know about kyle <laughs> rayner is that kyle rayner was a green lantern and then became the white lantern which is basically the combination of all the different lanterns so he's like the most powerful of the lanterns but the series He's basically the Tommy Oliver of the Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. No, he literally is. Like, he started green and then he, yeah, he, really, <laughs> he really is exactly that. Um, but even then, that's not really as important because that, that context is explained and the series starts with him having been kidnapped by a terrorist group called the Omega Men. Um, and the story is about whether... it's The whole thing is about whether or not they are in the right or in the wrong and whether or not he is going to be on their side because it's basically about a group of... And, you know, no two ways about it. They are terrorists fighting against an empire that has control over several planets. Um, and this is why I think you might like it, because, you you know, when you tend to like sci-fi space things, you tend to like the stuff that focuses around, like, diplomacy and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's... It's definitely <laughs> Yeah, fun. exactly. It's not fun. It, there's not a lot of humour in it at all. It's kind of like <laughs> if you took all of the humour out of Guardians of the Galaxy... Um, that's what okay. you'd get but it's what it is is a really striking and morally ambiguous and difficult um war and terrorism allegory and it's like they're really like nobody in it is in the right essentially and even the baddies aren't completely in the wrong in some ways and i found it a little bit difficult to get to grips with in terms of what exactly was happening and who people were for the first two or three issues and then it starts to click in and you start to get and it's one of those things where by the end you wonder how you were ever struggling to get into it at the start if you see what i mean like it's it, it's so gripping for those last few issues it also has the best the covers are reproduced issue by issue in the trade it has the best style and and set of covers it on a comic that i've seen in recent years it's got a really clever cover mm -hmm. conceit that works really well mm. uh, it's right. just a really stylish and classy comic and it is it's not as good as vision but it's totally cut from the same cloth it also very heavily uses a nine panel grid like it's it's being in some ways very deliberately <laughs> reminiscent of Watchmen, uh in a way that tom king's work really seems to like to do um so yeah as i say like i mean for anyone listening who still hasn't read Vision, for God's sake, read Vision. But uh, if you've read Vision and liked it, there's no reason not to go on and read Omega Men. Okay, well, I think that was actually something I was uh, looking forward to reading uh, based on enjoying the Vision. So, um, yeah, I think I'll probably be catching up on both of your 2016 recommendations there. Um, but now I just want to do a little quick look back at some of my favourite recommendations that you've already made this year. Um and give an award to the best one. Um, so what I've done is I've uh, popped up cinematicmultiverse.com forward slash episodes where I can handily read a list of all our minisodes, one after another, which has every comic book uh, recommended by Seven James on the podcast. Um, so listeners, if you want to go back and hear what's been recommended, or just see what's been recommended on each individual episode, um, there's a full list on the website, which is uh, very helpful for me in this circumstance. 
Um, just looking at this list, um, a couple of things immediately jumping out. Essex County um, and Superman Birthright, um, which were both um, recommendations from Seb back in March. Um, just, uh, the the Matrix comics that James recommended, I, um, I enjoyed immensely. Uh, Starman from Seb was great. Um, Casanova was really fun. Uh, the Long Halloween I really enjoyed. Um, in fact, a load of the Batman stuff that I uh, was able to read while I was there on honeymoon. Um, Next Wave Agents of Hate was immensely fun. Um, I, oh god, there's there's a load of stuff. Uh, Doctor Strange the Oath there, um, and even the Constantine stuff that I or the Constantine stuff that I read last week. Um, but I've got to say, I think if I could pick one particular favorite there, it's Jeff Lemire's Essex County, which I kind of fell in love with back in. March and I think I am still planning to uh, pick up a copy for myself at some point because uh, yeah that was really really great. Um, so Essex County is my uh, recommendation of 2016. Um, but I think before we draw this full podcast to a close, let's take a listen back to some of our favourite pictures from earlier in the year. I'd like to know who you would if you were at Netflix who you would introduce in the Punisher series that you would then spin off into their own show. You know, infinite spin-offs. Um, and Seb, I'll come to you first. Who would you spin off from the Punisher show? Well, I was trying to think who you could put in a Punisher show that would be a sort of a worthy, um, if not a foe, then certainly, you know, um, someone to spark off. And I think I think it's fair to describe the Punisher as um, uh, an unstoppable force. And so really what you want is an immovable object. You need to put the Punisher up against somebody who you could maybe describe as um, unbeatable. And I think as well, you know, the Punisher's going to be at risk of being a bit dark and grim and gritty. So I think we need to introduce a bit of lightness in there. So I think you should introduce um, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl as played by Mae Whitman. (laughs) I mean, I'm confused. I'm very confused. Kind of, I have, kind of have think the Punisher fight Squirrel Girl well, and then give Squirrel Girl a TV series. I kind of think it. I kind of think it would be wonderful to imagine. I'd actually have them teaming up. Like Squirrel Girl seems to have this great way in the comics of just speaking to people and going, "Hey, but wouldn't it be good if you did this instead?" And they go, "Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay, I'll do that." So she'd she'd be like, "Hey, Frank, wait, don't stop killing these people. I'll sort them out with with my squirrels. You go off and do your own thing." Yeah, there you go. I I mean, I like that. (laughs) Terrible idea, Seb, but I like it. I want you to imagine Mark Miller and Matthew Vaughan having a big falling out, and they both kind of swear to never work with each other again. But Matthew Vaughan still wants to make movies based on comic books, and Mark Miller still wants his comic books to be made into movies. So, which filmmaker would you pair up with Mark Miller moving forward? And vice versa for Matthew Vaughan, which comic book writer would you pair him up with? Um, you can do either one or both of these, whichever whichever you fancy. And um, Andrew, I'll come to you first. All right, I've got an answer for both. Uh, the Matthew Vaughan answer of what comic book person to team him up with. Can I say Jonathan Ross? <laughs> because if America's got powers and turf. Plus, working with Jane Goldman, I think they'll get on. Yeah. So I'm just cheating my way through that one. But actually, Mark, <laughs> the answer for Mark Miller is, I think I think he needs Paul Verhoeven. Uh, I, I think what you need to do is find a, 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 a 
director who looks at Starship Troopers, the book, and says, I mean, if it was a piss take, <laughs> I think that's a good way to deal with with some of the, the more grubby and unpleasant excesses of Miller's written work. And guys, I thought this week I'd give you two options for things to pitch to me. Um, so it's basically which of the following you'd prefer to see. Would you prefer to see a Keanu Reeves Constantine movie, a sequel to this, so Constantine 2 with Keanu Reeves, or would you rather see Keanu Reeves back playing a different superhero, different comic book character? So it's up to you. You can pitch me either of those kind of movies, a Constantine sequel or Keanu Reeves coming back to coming back to the comic book genre. And um, Sarah, do you want to go first or second? I'll, I'll let you choose. Go, I'll go first. Why not? Okay. Um, okay. So I had to think about this with my limited knowledge of what superheroes exist. Um, and I couldn't think of another one that would be good for Keanu Reeves. So I'm going to go with the first option, which is a Constantine 2. Um, I like that because you don't want to see it, but you're just like it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just keep him confined to the one, the one thing. That'll be fine. Um, and I am pitching a Constantine 2, which is kind of a cheat. And I think, um, yeah, you, I don't know. Maybe you should disqualify me for this. But I think it should actually be based around Gabriel because... At the end of Constantine Ooh. 1, um, Gabriel gets their, his her wings chopped off and becomes mortal. Um, so I think we could have a radically different in tone kind of wacky comedy of Gabriel trying to navigate <laughs> life as a human in Los Angeles. And then, you know, Keanu Reeves could turn up for maybe, I'm going to say three scenes, um, just to kind of rub it in a bit, maybe. <laughs> So yeah, that's I my do pitch. like that a lot. You've you pitched a wacky comedy with Tilda Swinton uh, that I, you know, where she used to be an angel and now she's just chilling out on earth. And today, um, I want you to pitch me um, another movie that Ryan Reynolds could star in that I would really enjoy. No, I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the end of the movie where we find out there's a sequel with Cable in it. And so now that we know that Cable is in it. Pitch me your idea for Deadpool two. Um, Amon, you've you've pre warned me that your your answer to this is very complex. In fact, I think you said super crazy and super elaborate, and probably won't make too much sense. Given given that it's an X Men related movie, I, I'm going to buy that. Sell it to me. What 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 is your pitch for a Deadpool and Cable movie? So, Mister Sinister would be the villain in my film. Um, it will be set in the future. And his plan would be to use DNA he had previously acquired from certain members of the X-Men to create an army of super mutants. <laughs> now, in the future, Cable and the X-Force would try and stop Mr. Sinister, but they will fail, and Cable's entire team dies. However, in the midst of the battle, crucial information is revealed about when Sinister acquired the DNA. And just before Sinister strikes the killing blow, Cable travels back to 2016, the year of X-Men Apocalypse, um, to sort of foil Sinister's plot and he recruits Deadpool to help him do that and uh, the, the crucial information I should say which was revealed in the future which was uncovered in the future was that Apocalypse was working with Sinister all along and acquired the DNA of certain members of the X-Men and then gave it to Sinister now Deadpool says he'll help Cable in return for a favour which he'll reveal at a time that suits him Cable agrees 
They follow the X-Men to where Apocalypse is hiding because Cable knows that Sinister knows... Sorry, Cable knows that Sinister is nearby, but he's hidden. And it'd be really cool because... You at points you could you'd be getting you'd be getting an alternate view of events that happened in X Men Apocalypse, sort of <laughs> like uh, Bruce Wayne in Metropolis in the Man of Steel trailers. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, once um, Deadpool and Cable team up, uh, Sinister is defeated. Deadpool then tells um, Cable what his favor is. The next scene is then set in 2008. At the exact moment, the Fox executives <laughs> decide it's a good idea to sew Deadpool's mouth shut in X Men Origins Wolverine. Deadpool kills all but one of them, promising the executive who lives that he'll come back for him if the if he doesn't immediately fast track a Deadpool movie. Cable then brings Deadpool back to 2016, where Deadpool 3 is now playing in cinemas all over the world. <laughs> James, I don't want to put you and Seb down, but I think that might be the greatest pitch we've ever had say, on this podcast. <laughs> that That's a very, fantastic. Very complete pitch and what a film I would definitely watch. Oh god, I mean that sounds amazing. What I also like about it is that they're traveling back into the events of X-Men Apocalypse, which I like because I always said that the Ant-Man movie should have featured a sequence where Ant-Man was there the whole time and was like just like on the Hulk's fist in the Battle of New York and was just like sat on Captain America's shield watching stuff that was happening in in um, Winter Soldier and all that kind of stuff. So I was already on board with that whole idea. I like the idea that structurally it sounds similar to Days of Future Past, so you've got loads of um, satire potential there about how that movie worked. Um, and then, yeah, the, that twist at the end about going back and cancelling uh, Deadpool is really, really great. Um, sorry, cancelling X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, I I love all of that. Uh, James, you have got your work cut out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, I, <laughs> I'm not you sure my first? winning streak is going to continue. Um, and this week, guys, um, I, so I, 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 I don't know whether this is strictly true after after that discussion, but so it's fair to say that the the mask comic, while it has funny things in it, wasn't strictly a comedic comic book, but got turned into a big mainstream Hollywood comedy. So what I want to know, uh, where, where, James, I'm matching you in the tenuous links. Uh, what I want to know is which non-comedic comic book you would like to see turned into a mainstream Hollywood comedy today. Um, so, James, I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, uh, a non-comedic comic which could make a good comedy movie. So my pick is this kind of obscure Marvel character called uh, Spider-Man. Because I think there's room to do a comedic take on Spider-Man, and I don't think anyone's quite managed that in the in the movies. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of joking, but also, like, in the same way, Lois and Clark was a kind of sort of romantic comedy take on Superman. I think Spider-Man's a versatile enough character that you could do exactly the same thing with it. And I don't like. There's a chance Spider-Man: Homecoming will be that, that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, I feel like if the Amazing Spider-Man had been made ten years ago, it might have been like that, where they were aiming at teens. Whereas in this case, they were going, "Oh, we're aiming at teens, so it's going to be sort of angsty and twilighty." Okay, uh, I I have a question for you, James. Go on. Is it possible? The movie set to be released on 21st of December 2018, currently named 
untitled animated Spider-Man project <laughs> written by written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller of 21 Jump Street Lego <laughs> Movie Clone High Fame may in fact be the movie you've just pitched. Well, if it is, I'll accept a mere 10% of the royalties. <laughs> I'm just worried about me as, you know, kind of greenlighting this project that potentially someone has beaten us to it already. <laughs> as I mean, much gonna, as I like the idea. It's going to happen, like a kind of prestige uh, illusionist situation. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll back yours. Um, is in that situation and we maybe not going to be able to use the Spider-Man rights and have to call him, I don't know, like Bug Lad or something? Arachno guy. Yes, okay. So James is pitching Arachno guy for uh, January 2019. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Seb, do you have anything to beat Arachno guy? Well, I, I just noticed again <coughs> that James has shamefully played for your vote this time by um, referencing Lois and Clark. Yes. You know, knowing that, that will get you on side. Um, no, I, I went down a slightly different route from James, and I, I'm not sure if it'll be one that you'll go for, but we'll see. I mean, I so I, I mean, I kind of tried to think of what was the most serious comic that I could think of that that you could adapt into a comedy, and I eventually landed on. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, it's a very, it was a very Guardian friendly comic um, called Jimmy Corrigan, the Smartest Kid on Earth, by Chris Ware. Um, so, if you've never heard of it, it's a the name very rings a bell, but uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's it's a very dense and elusive and um, formalist um, comic about. I mean, I'll, I'll read the plot description from Wikipedia because I think that sums up why I think it would make such a, a great comedy film. Um, so, Jimmy Corrigan is a meek, lonely, thirty-six-year-old man who meets his father for the first time in the fictional town of uh, Wakosha, Michigan, over Thanksgiving weekend. Jimmy is an awkward and cheerless character with an overbearing mother and a very limited social life. After an ill-timed phone call, Jimmy agrees to meet his father without telling his mother. The experience is stressful for him as he can barely communicate with anyone other than his mother, let alone his estranged father. The two do very little together, and Jimmy's father, while well-intentioned, comes off to Jimmy as slightly racist and inconsiderate. <laughs> a parallel story, set in the Chicago World's Columbian Exposition of 1893, shows Jimmy's grandfather as a lonely little boy and his difficult relationship with an abusive father, Jimmy's great-grandfather. Um, the novel uses numerous flashback scenes and parallel storylines. Many pages are devoid of text and some contain complex iconic diagrams. Notable motifs in Jimmy Corrigan include a robot, a bird, a peach, a miniature horse and a flawed superhero figure. Um, so I'm thinking Adam Sandler comedy. Sounds hilarious. <laughs> um, I don't know, it sounded a bit like Anomalisa to begin with and then... <laughs> And to know with the flashback, I'm wondering how you do the comedic abusive father in the <laughs> in the flashbacks. That seems tougher. Unless you do, you know, you do the slapstick violence of the mask. There you go. You've nailed it. Do you know what? I think I have to go with you, Seb, just because I don't think we've got the rights to do James's movie. I think he's been preempted by the all-powerful Lord Miller. And I don't want to go up against those guys. Those guys, you know, they take terrible ideas and make them good all the time. Um, so, you know, they've certainly got more power to do that than I do. Fantastic. Well, that is it for this week and, um, and for the whole of 2016 on Cinematic Universe. Um, 
you're probably listening to this in 2017. Um, so happy new year. And we are going to be back uh, next week with a mini-sode. I've still got the Captain America First Avenger mini-sode to bring you. Um, and stay tuned uh, right at the end of this podcast to hear what we are going to be discussing on our next full show. Um I won't do the full spiel. Just thank you so much for listening to the podcast throughout 2016 and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next year. Come to me, son of Jorel. Kneel before Zod. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Superman 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.